Amen. And please feel free to take this and tuck it in your Bible and meditate on those wonderful words of gospel truth. Please be seated. And let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to read and preach verses 16 through 19 this morning, where the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about peace and mutual upbuilding. Peace and mutual upbuilding. Peace in our relationships with each other as fellow believers in the church. And mutual upbuilding, building each other up in our faith, in our godly character. Paul calls us to pursue these things, to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding, because he knows, as we do also, that it's all too easy for there to be a lack of peace in our relationships at times. Sometimes there's conflict and perhaps tension and distance and discord, and so we need peace. And he knows also, as we do, that sometimes we, we tear each other down instead of building each other up. We do that with our words. We do that with our tone of voice, even, with each other. We, we do it with our actions or our inaction. So we need this reminder to pursue these things, to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding with each other. And that's what we're gonna think about together this morning, the call to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. And the call to pursue those things as those who have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're able to pursue peace with each other because we have peace with God through Christ and we'll remember that together as we go through these verses. But first let's pray, let's ask for God's help and then we'll begin, let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the peace that we have with you through your son by faith. We were your enemies by nature, but now we are your children by grace. And we thank you for your your great kindness and mercy in saving us from our sin. And we pray now that you would help us to understand the truths you've revealed to us in these verses and help us to respond to the call to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding in repentance for the ways we haven't done that and in humble obedience to this call. May we pursue peace with each other as those who have peace with you through Christ. We pray in his name, amen. Romans chapter 14, I'll begin reading at verse 15 so we can get a running start. And again, our focus is gonna be on 16 through 19. And I remind us that this is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God through the Apostle Paul. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness 
and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. As you can see in your sermon notes there, I've labeled each of the four verses we're gonna look at with some key words from each verse. Good and evil in verse 16. The kingdom of God, verse 17. Acceptance and approval in verse 18. And then peace and mutual upbuilding in verse 19. And we'll see how all those string together as we go through them. So let's look first at good and evil in verse 16. Paul writes there, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. He's talking to the strong in faith, as he has been so often in this chapter, and he's saying to them, don't let what you regard as good, namely the freedom to eat all foods, since Christ has come and declared all foods clean, don't let that freedom that you regard as good be spoken of as evil. By who? By your brother or sister who is weak in faith. Because of the fact that you didn't walk in love towards them regarding the matter of unclean foods. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil by them because of how you treated them is what he's getting at here. Like he said in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil by them because of how you've treated them. And I think there's an important lesson for, for all of us here in this. And, and it is this, that how we treat someone either helps or hinders our ability to influence them. So if the strong in faith failed to walk in love toward the weak in faith, then what the strong in faith regarded as good would be spoken of as evil by the weak in faith. If the strong in faith, if we could sort of imagine them, flaunted their freedom in front of the weak in faith, that would of course hinder their ability to influence them toward a more biblical view, a more biblical practice regarding these unclean foods, so-called. But if the strong in faith walked in love toward the weak in faith, if they were humble, genuinely, if they were gracious, if they were gentle and kind toward them, then that would help their ability to influence them toward a more biblical view and practice. How we treat someone either helps or hinders our ability to influence them. This is true when it comes to evangelism, if you think about it. In evangelism, we proclaim Christ to someone with our words, but if we don't also reflect Christ to them in our character, in the way we treat them, that'll hinder our evangelism. That'll get in the way of our evangelism. This is true also when it comes to parenting our children. If we say something true and important to our children, but it's obvious to them that we're irritated and angry at them when we're saying it, they're gonna be less likely to respond positively to what we're saying. We may be speaking truth to them, but if we're not speaking the truth in love, then how we're treating them will hinder our ability to influence them for their good as their parents. 
think this is also true when it comes to how we relate to each other in the church. For example, if we think our, our view of the Sabbath, for instance, is biblical, and we have certain practices on the Lord's Day that we think are faithful to Scripture, helpful to the observance of the day, and we want others to come to the same view, we want others to have the same practices for their spiritual benefit, if we're arrogant or harsh or insensitive towards them when talking about the Sabbath, or if we make them feel like they're somehow second-class Christians or we're somehow better than they are, then they're less likely to embrace our view and practice regarding the Sabbath. We make it harder for them to do so because of the way we're treating them. Like a magnet that's turned the wrong way, we repel them instead of attracting them to that more biblical view and practice. But if we love our brother or sister, if we treat them kindly, if we leave room for them to disagree, if instead of flaunting our practices, we humbly and winsomely carry out our practices, if instead of arguing with them, we gently encourage them to consider a few passages from scripture or think about a few of their Sunday habits, if we do all of that in evident love towards them and with graciousness and humility, we're more likely to have a positive influence on them. How we treat someone either helps or hinders our ability to influence them. So let's try to draw people to the truth instead of repelling them from it by the way we treat them, by how we love them, by how we love each other in this church. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, Paul says. Why should this not happen? Well, it's because of what Paul says about the kingdom of God in the next sentence, and let's look at that now under our second main point about the kingdom of God. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, in other words, life under God's saving reign isn't about eating and drinking. It's not fundamentally about eating or drinking certain things or not, certain foods or not. It's fundamentally about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's reminding them. Kind of like Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's most important is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, things that should characterize the relationship between the strong and the weak that Paul's been talking about, things that should characterize our lives and our relationships with each other. Let's think about each of those three things for just a minute. First, righteousness, and we could think of both the gift of righteousness and our growth in righteousness, based on what Paul's said in this book, this letter. The gift of righteousness is what we receive by faith when we first believe in Jesus. It's the gift of his own righteousness. 
his own perfect record of obedience. When we put our trust in him for our salvation, his righteousness is counted as our righteousness. So that when God sees us, he no longer sees the filthy rags of our sin. He now sees the spotless robes of his son. And in terms of our standing before God the judge, we are as righteous as Christ because we are clothed in his own perfect righteousness. That's the gift of righteousness. Then there's also our growth in righteousness, which happens all throughout our lives as Christians, as we grow in Christ's likeness, as we are conformed more into the image of Jesus. The gift of righteousness is about justification. Our growth in righteousness is what we call sanctification. And the gift, it's important to understand, precedes the growth. The gift precedes the growth. The gift is not the reward of the growth. It is the root of the growth. So we grow in righteousness in response to the gift of righteousness. And both come from Christ. So that's righteousness. Secondly, there's peace, Paul mentions, Peace with God and peace with each other. As we saw on the front of the bulletin earlier from the beginning of Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were enemies of God, but we've been reconciled to God. And now we're friends of God and children of God We have peace with him. We also have peace with each other in the body of Christ as a result. Christ himself is our peace, Paul said in Ephesians 2, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And Paul continues on in Ephesians chapter two there. We have peace with God and we have peace with each other in the body of Christ. And thirdly, Paul mentions joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy as a fruit of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Joy in God in the midst of the struggles of our journey through this fallen world. And rejoicing in hope of the glory that awaits us. These things are what the kingdom of God is fundamentally about, Paul is saying. These things are what the kingdom of God is focused on. Not eating and drinking primarily, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the things that should characterize our lives and our relationships with each other in this church. Have you ever wondered what our church is known for? 
to the extent that we are known? It's a little bit of an awkward question, but just have you ever thought about that before? Either known by our fellow believers in other churches or, or by the unbelievers around us? What, what are we known for to whatever extent we are known as a church? Being a warm and welcoming church? I've heard that a lot. I hear that often from visitors. Perhaps some of our distinctive beliefs and practices, our reformed theology, the fact that we baptize infants, our views about children being present in the worship services, uh, our views about the liturgical calendar or our intergenerational fellowship that we enjoy so much, the fact that we practice church discipline according to scripture. The fact that we sing psalms and hymns from a hymnal with piano accompaniment and we sing loudly, joyfully. What are we known for? Perhaps people just know that we're a church because of our name on the sign or because of the steeple above the building. Though Tim told me that while we were on vacation, a guy came in to the church during the week asking where to check in because he thought we were the Microtel across, across the street. I've been here for more than 10 years and that hasn't happened yet, but uh, for for first couple of weeks, Tim's at the helm and, and uh, senior pastor is away on vacation and he gets, gets an odd request. But, but what are we known for to the extent that we are known? I, I would say that all those things I just mentioned are good, are good things to be known for, but how about if we were known for righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, humble gratitude for the righteousness of Christ that we're all clothed in. Not not our own righteousness, we don't come to church clothed in our own goodness, but we all have the robes of Christ on. And also a growing righteousness in our lives, a growing righteousness that that is countercultural and attractive. Peace in our relationships with each other despite our differences. Peace that is rooted in the unshakable peace with God we have through Christ. And joy, joy in the gospel, joy in worshiping God together, joy in our sorrows, joy in the gifts God gives us, joy on our faces and in our hearts. May we be known for those things as a church to the extent that we are known. May righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit shine forth from us for the glory of God. So this is what the kingdom of God is fundamentally about. This is what life under God's saving reign is fundamentally about. Not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to mention the fruit of that, the fruit of that in terms of acceptance and approval. This is our third main point now. Look at verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Whoever thus serves Christ, that is, by doing what he's been talking about, by walking in love toward others and by focusing mainly on these things, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
Now, to be clear, when he says that whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God, he's not talking about trying to do enough good works so that God will accept you. He's not talking about salvation by works. He's just talking about pleasing God. He's talking about those who've already been saved by grace seeking to please God by the way they live. And he says that whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God in that sense. Ultimately, we are acceptable to God only through Christ. But once we are acceptable to God through Christ, we seek to please God throughout our lives. We seek to please him, and this is most important, we seek to please him from a position of acceptance, not for a position of acceptance. Not like an orphan trying to behave well enough so that someone will adopt him, but like a child seeking to please his parents because he is their child and he is secure in their love. We should seek to please God as those who are already acceptable to him and accepted by him in Christ. So that's a clarification. Another clarification, when Paul says that whoever thus serves Christ is approved by men, he's not talking about living for the approval of others and needing the approval of others. He rejected that himself in Galatians 1.10, you may remember. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he's not talking about living for the approval of others and needing the approval of others. That's, that's being like a black hole toward others instead of like the bright sun toward others. Now he's, he's really talking about one of the fruits of walking in love toward fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Ordinarily, they will approve of your loving and godly character. This is what he's saying. So if you don't put a stumbling block in their way, if you don't grieve them, if you don't destroy them, but instead you love them and bear the fruit of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit towards them, if you thus serve Christ, ordinarily that service will be approved by them. It'll be received, it'll be appreciated by them, which is a blessing and an encouragement. So we already have the acceptance of God and we don't need the approval of men, but when we serve Christ in these ways, we please God and we're encouraged by the appreciation of our fellow believers as they see us bearing fruit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Well, what's the conclusion of all this that Paul's been saying? That's what he gives us in verse 19, our fourth main point now, about peace and mutual upbuilding. Look at verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is what we're called to pursue as believers. It's what we're called to pursue together as fellow members of this church in particular, whatever, whatever church you're a member of in your context. We've all taken a vow here in this church to promote the peace 
and purity of the church. We're called to pursue, as Paul says here, what makes for peace. Listen to a few other verses. Psalm 34, 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Or 2 Timothy 2, 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. And then one more, James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're to seek peace. We're to pursue peace. We're to strive for peace. We're to make peace, God says. When we were on vacation recently, we went kayaking in the sound down in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And Kristen and I were in a kayak together. Our kids were on paddle boards, individual paddle boards. And occasionally, the two of us, we would just stop paddling and and just sit there in the water. And it was so peaceful. We could just rest and feel the breeze blowing on us. That is, until that breeze blew us towards the shore where, where if we weren't careful, we would get stuck in the mud and in all of this gross seaweed that had washed up on the shore of the sound. And, and we realized that we needed to keep paddling to keep from drifting. And in our relationships with each other, it's much the same way. Our relationships with each other in this fallen world are much like that. We have to pursue peace with each other continually. We have to strive for peace with each other continually. We have to keep paddling to keep from drifting into the mud and seaweed of discord and disunity. So then let us pursue, pursue what makes for peace. And let us pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. Romans 15, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Not so that it tears itself down, but builds itself up. And verse 29 of that chapter, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We're to build each other up, not tear each other down in the body of Christ. Kids, 
when you are building a tower of Legos, if you've done that before, and you're trying to see how high you can build this tower of Legos, and your brother or your sister walks by, what are you afraid they might do? What are you afraid they might do? You're afraid they might knock it down, right, of course. Well, that's what we shouldn't do to each other as believers. If each one of us is like a Lego tower, we shouldn't knock each other down. We should build each other up. We should build each other up with our words. We should build each other up with our actions and not tear each other down. Kids, perhaps you could discuss with your family over lunch today, what are some ways we can build each other up in our family? What are some ways we can build each other up in our family? And then perhaps think about what are some ways we can build up our fellow church members? What are some ways we can build up our fellow church members? Talk about that together. See what ideas you can come up with in response to God's word. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Two more thoughts as we draw to a close this morning. Two more things. Number one, I just wanna say I think that you do a great job of this as a congregation, pursuing peace and mutual upbuilding. As your pastor, I am encouraged by ways that I see you doing this. You, you, you pursue peace with each other. You do that through just loving each other and caring for each other, carrying one another's burdens as you do so frequently. You pursue peace by praying for each other and working through conflicts and disagreements as difficult as those may be. I think you build each other up well Everyone, young and old together, doing this together as a body of Christ, both in word and in deed. So I would just say be encouraged and thankful to the Lord for his work among us as you continue to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. And also, I just would encourage you to to, uh, watch out for drifting. Keep paddling and, and don't drift. Watch out for things that may may feel like a cool breeze but can actually push us toward disunity, things like gossip or clickishness or unresolved conflict. Uh, Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Keep that verse in mind. Ask yourself, Is there anyone I need to pursue peace with today? Is there anyone I need to pursue peace with today? Is there someone I can build up today? Think about that even before you leave church today. Is there someone I can build up before I leave today? Keep pursuing peace. Keep pursuing mutual upbuilding. And be encouraged by how the Lord is working these things among us already. And second, and finally, Like I said at the beginning, it's important for us to remember that we're called to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding as those who have peace with God through Christ. We do it as those who already have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're able to pursue peace with each other because we have peace with God. The only way to have peace with God is through his son, Jesus Christ through putting our trust in Christ to atone for all our sins and to credit us with his own righteousness. 
And when we turn from our sin and put our trust in him, we are reconciled to God. Where there was once wrath, there is now love. Where there was once war, there is now peace. And since we have peace with God now, we have what we need to pursue peace with each other. No matter how hard it is, and it is hard, no matter how many hurdles there may be, and there may be many, if we have peace with God, then we can have peace with each other. We've been reconciled to the God of peace. We are united to the Prince of Peace. And we're indwelt by the Spirit who produces the fruit of peace in us. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the peace that we have with you. Peace that you pursued even when we were your enemies. We pray that you'd give us the grace to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding with each other. Empowered by the Spirit, and we need the power of the Spirit, and for the glory of Christ. We pray in his name, amen.